Is the new Bing AI on the verge of a mental breakdown? Is Samsung's new 200 megapixel camera worth it? The results of my photo and video tests. A cure for loneliness is easier to dial up than you might think. Plus, your tech questions answered. What's going on? I'm Rich Demuro, and this is Rich on Tech, the show where I talk about the tech stuff I think you should know about. It's also the place where I answer your questions about technology. I'm the tech reporter at KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles, broadcasting to you live right now. Welcome to the show. Phone lines are open at 1-888-RICH-101. That's 888-742-4101. Give me a call if you have a question about technology. Well, it happened once again last night. And, you know, I don't even want to admit this happens often in my house. But it happened. 75 streaming services and nothing on. I don't know why this keeps happening to me. But Friday nights we've kind of earmarked as our, you know, enjoyable movie night. Just relax with a nice movie. We subscribe to all the different streaming services. Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Amazon, YouTube TV. But it seems like every single time I want to sit down to watch a movie... We can't decide on which one to watch. So what do I do? I go to my apps. And I, of course, tweeted this. And everyone said, Rich, you got to get some apps. You got to get some apps like uh, Real Good. That's R-E-E-L. Good. And just watch. Yeah, I have the apps. And I use them. And I keep a list of all the movies I want to watch on these apps. But for some reason, when I sit down in front of that TV, I don't want to watch any of those movies that I bookmarked on the apps. Don't know why that happens. So what do I do? I start opening up the apps one by one on my TV screen. I go from Netflix to Hulu to HBO Max to Amazon Prime to YouTube TV to Apple TV. And I look at all the different things and I just can't decide because you have to sit there and look at the description and then you try to watch a trailer. It's too loud. You put the volume down. Then you got to bring, you know, your wife or your partner into the mix and ask them what they think. And then, of course, we were trying to incorporate the kids last night. So we asked them what they think and they just want to play Roblox. So it was a whole big thing. <laughs> and we ended up deciding on this is embarrassing. We ended up deciding on an old movie. High School Musical, which I've never seen. And my kids actually liked it. I fell asleep about 17 minutes in. I thought it was a cute movie. It looked cute from what I saw. But, I mean, we we ended up watching a movie that was over a decade old. When I'm paying 20 bucks a month for all these different services, you know, $20 each or whatever it is. So I've got to find a better way. It brought me back to the days of my Friday nights growing up in New Jersey where the family would round up. You'd get in the car, you'd drive to Blockbuster, and guess what? You saw six or seven movies that you wanted to watch instantly. And by the way, the biggest movies had like 150 copies, so you knew those were the movies to see. Nowadays, everything is so crowded on these little streaming services and everything looks the same that you can't really say like, huh, is that a, is that a good movie? You're actually researching to see like, wait, did I already watch that movie? Because everything's just sort of mixed together. So bring me the days of the blockbuster walking back into that place and, you know, trying to decide on movies. And of course, by the time you decide on a movie, it's not available. It's the one that they don't have any copies of. So you go to the checkout and you say, hey, did anyone return that movie? And you wait there and you see if someone brings it back in. We used to bring like three or three or four movies home. 
And by the time we got around to, re- to returning them, of course, we had major late fees. Ah, anyway, just had to get that off my chest. I, I don't know if that's just me or if you share in that same streaming situation where it's just this uncertainty of you don't want to make the wrong choice about what to stream. I was home in New Jersey last week. I did the show uh, remotely. I thought it worked out pretty well. Of course, when I'm home, I am tech support for my family, my parents, especially my mom's internet. uh, I was at her house. It was so slow. It was just a crawl. And I'm like, what is going on here? So, of course, I reset the modem. I reset the router. I do another speed test. If you want to test your speed at home, you can go to a website called fast.com, F-A-S-T.com. That's the easiest way I know to do a quick speed test. It was actually created by Netflix, ironically, to, uh, to make sure your speed was fast enough to stream, which you don't really need much to stream these days. Anyway, it was like 25 megabits per second. It was really slow. So I'm like, that's odd. So then, of course, I get on the Internet and I'm looking up her bill. Mom, can I have your information so I can look up your bill? Let me see what you're paying for. She was paying $103 a month for 25 megabits of service, which is absolutely ludicrous in my head. So, of course, now I'm calling the cable company and I call them up and the first person I get says, oh, let me let me transfer. They just want to get you off the phone as soon as possible. So let me let me transfer you. Let me pass the buck. Let me transfer you to someone else. So they transfer me to or they wanted to transfer me to tech support. And I said, no, no, this is not a tech support thing. This is not a tech support question. This is a billing question. This is a why am I paying so much for so little question? And the phone goes silent and I'm just like, did I get hung up on? So I get finally said here, I would like to cancel the service. How, what does that mean? And they said, Oh, you want to cancel? Let me get you to that department. That's really the only department that could do anything these days. Right. When you threaten to cancel, like it seems like nobody else can help except when you say, I no longer want to pay for this. And then they finally get you to someone that can help you. So I get over to the person that is cancellation. And this person's actually quite nice. But I came prepared to this conversation, and I came prepared saying, look, I'm paying 103 bucks a month for 25 megabits, and just knowing the lingo really helps, because if you don't really understand what you're paying or what the speed is or what you know, all that stuff, they, they kind of take advantage of you. So I was kind of flexing a little bit of my tech knowledge, and I was like, look, I'm like, I just did two other, uh, you know, I just did two speed tests on a T-Mobile phone inside my mom's house and also a Verizon phone, and these mobile networks have faster speeds. And I know that these mobile networks are offering home internet. So I could probably switch to T-Mobile internet for like 50 bucks a month, or I can switch to Verizon home internet for $25 a month. And I wouldn't even need someone to come to my house. I would just put up this antenna that they send me. And when you start saying these things, it registers with them and they go, oh, oh, we got, we got someone who knows what they're doing here. Uh Oh, we better give them a good deal. And so I started speaking their language and, you know, they kind of tried to say, you know, this is, you know, you're paying for a hundred. I said, no, I'm looking at my bill here. It's 25. So finally they look up in the super secret system. Like what can we offer this person to stay with us? And of course they type away. You hear all the typing type, 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 clickety clack, clickety clack. And so finally they come back. Oh, we can give you this for that. I said, okay, that's pretty good. But my mom doesn't need all of that. Okay, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. You know, it's like when you're at the uh, airport back in the day when they used to actually type stuff into a computer and it would take like 30 seconds for them to come back with something. That's what happened. Okay, we can give you this. How about we'll give you 80 bucks a month for 500 megabits per second? And I said, now that sounds pretty good. You're talking 
what? That's more than 10 times. That's 20 times the speed for at least $20 less. I think that sounds good. So I said, let's do it. You've got a deal. You kept me from going over the edge to Verizon or T-Mobile for something different. And he said, okay, let's do it. And he was very friendly. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this story so you understand that you should be doing this as well. If you're not calling your cable company or your internet provider or your cell phone provider or anyone that you can get on the phone with a service that you're just paying for every month, you got to call them up. I know it's a pain. I know it's not fun, but you have to do it. And the reason you have to do it is because they love when those promotions expire. And when those promotions expire, they've still got you on auto pay. Or you know you still got that you know modem in your house or that router. And so it's just easy to keep paying that bill. And I'll be honest, I'm guilty of this. My internet recently went up by like 20 bucks a month. And that crept up from $10 extra a month. So now I think I'm up to like 30 or $40 a month than I was originally paying when I set it up. And yeah, I know, I need to get on the horn with my cable provider and call them up and do this whole dance, but I don't feel like it. And we never feel like doing this. Who wants to do this? And they, again, you know, unless you get that right person, they may not be willing to help you out on this stuff. So you really got to call twice sometimes. I had a similar experience with an airline over the summer where I really, really was proud of myself for making the case I had a credit that expired. And it took like three calls. But I got someone that really was willing to help. And I think kindness really goes a long way. Like, you have to understand. Like, they want to help you. Not really. You want to help them. Not really. It's this little dance of, like, two people that both want to protect their interests. But you got to come to a common, a, a common place in this world. And I will tell you one keyword, one phrase that has helped me out that I think really, really helps. You say to them, can you make a one-time exception? How about just a one-time exception? And I think that really opens up the door to many, many deals on your end that will benefit you because they say, okay, I'm not going to typically do this for most people, but I'll do it for you. And they want to feel good knowing that they're flexing their their might and you're flexing your, okay, I understand. I'm not going to tell my friends about this because this was a one-time thing. You're not going to do this for anyone else. And that seems to sort of work. I don't know why it works, but it just does. So anyway, my mom's got faster internet. You have your knowledge you need now to to go out there and and get some money off your bills. And I'm going to do it myself one of these days when I've got some extra time. And I'll tell you how that works. Uh, also, I helped my dad with his computer. I'll tell you more about that in a little bit because that was that was something that was pretty interesting to watch people on their computer to see how they do things and to watch how they're sort of... Uh, you know, there's, there could be some stumbles along the way there. I'll tell you about that more later in the show. I've got so much to talk about today. You can tell I'm fired up today, right? I can't wait. I've got uh, a, a new reason why Twitter users are all up in arms once again. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the Samsung Galaxy S23 camera. I took a lot of photos and videos with this thing, so I'll give you my verdict on that. I've got three great guests this week. I've got Bing's head of search to talk about the new Bing AI and how Microsoft is learning from its mistakes. Plus, an app that will help you keep track of your tax write-offs using artificial intelligence, and the author of a newsletter that I open every single time it hits my inbox. Jared Newman is going to join me on the show to talk about cord cutting, privacy, and more. Plus, your calls coming up next at 888-RICH-101. Give me a call if you have a question about technology. The phone number is 888-742-4101. My name is Rich Demiro. You're listening to Rich on Tech. Your calls up next.
Welcome back to Rich on Tech. I'm Rich DeMuro sitting here hanging out, talking technology with you. Phone lines are open at 888-RICH-101. That's 888-742-4101. Let's go to Louie in Orange County, California. Louie, you're on with Rich. How are you doing, Rich? I am uh, doing Because great. of my lack of knowledge, the best way I can ask this question is I have a, I'm, I'm got the bug to uh, upgrade my audio system. I have a receiver. Uh, we have Wi-Fi in the house, and we're using the Fire Stick to get all the streaming services, whether they be audio or video. I want to upgrade to a processor that does Bluetooth. Will that work with all those streaming services by pairing it to the Fire Stick? Uh, yeah, you, the Fire Stick supports Bluetooth, so you yeah. want to so you want to pair some sort of. Uh... It, it's an Emotiva pr- uh, processor. Okay, so it's a little... And it only does Bluetooth. It doesn't do uh, Wi-Fi. Okay. And, yeah, so you just want to link that up. But now, when you say processor, you want to... Yeah, pre- preamplify. Okay. You want to send the audio throughout the house using this. Uh, well, just to the, the theater room, the main room, right. Yeah. Or, 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 and it has that capability. Yes, I can do other rooms, too. Yeah. I mean, have you tried connecting a Bluetooth device to your Fire Stick? Well, uh, uh, this is the part I don't understand. I have a... Sennheiser a wireless headphone going to the receiver to it. The receiver does also Bluetooth. Sure. So yes, and that works flawlessly. Okay, but that's through the receiver. Have you that's tried through the receiver? And that's going to go away, right? Right. Have you tried directly connecting the Bluetooth headphones to the the Fire Stick because they do have that capability? Uh, I'm going to try that. Okay. We'll try that. Will that answer the whole question? I think so. Because once you get those, now here's the thing. In certain cases, like this device that you're trying to connect via Bluetooth, if it doesn't support a certain profile that the Fire Stick wants, like the Fire Stick primarily is there to support, um, uh, you know, headphones, like audio headphones. So, and it may support, I'm not really sure if the the stick supports any sort of uh, uh, gaming controller via Bluetooth, but I know it does uh, the headphones for sure. But the question is, when you try to link up this other little device, is the Fire Stick going to accept it? That's the only thing you got to figure out. And the only way you can figure that out is by trying that out. But, right, or, or I can ask the manufacturer. Yeah, the manufacturer may know for sure. but oh, he, he should know for sure. But but for sure, the, the Fire Stick definitely supports it, so you'll be okay with that. But just to test it out, I would just link up your headphones. So you put them into right. pairing mode, go into the settings on the Fire TV stick. It'll say like, you know, it's in the settings somewhere. It says like Bluetooth right. devices. You, you know, you put it into pairing mode. It should see that device. You click it and just try that out first off. And then once you've got that confidence, then you can go ahead and connect this other device. Now, is, is the Bluetooth signal as good as a Wi-Fi signal that's hardwired into the receiver now? Uh, I don't think a Bluetooth signal is going to be good as good as a hardwired signal, no. But with that said, I think it'll be fine. So okay. um, I think it'll be... I mean, look, you're going to have to try it out. You're going to have to see. There could be some latency. That's the biggest That's the biggest question is, is there going to be a, limp sync, a, a lip sync issue with what you're watching on TV to the Bluetooth, you know, going through that system and out through the speakers? 
Right. So it's not only audio quality possibly lost, possibly. It's also lip syncing and things such as that. Exactly. Now, I've got, you know, a Sonos system that has, they know that, you know, the wireless is, is a part of it, and it, it has some adjustments for that. I don't know if those adjustments are built into the Fire Stick, but that's something you can check as well. But I don't think that's the case. What if they're, what if they're built into the, to the processor? Yeah, if you have that, then you so can that just... Would, that would work, too. Yeah, exactly. Just adjust okay, so, okay. it by a couple milliseconds. All right. This helps a lot. Thank you. I finally, finally learned something good. <laughs> All right, Louie. Happy to help. Thanks for calling today. Appreciate it. Uh, phone lines are open at 888-RICH-101. That's 888-742-4101. I told you that Twitter users are up in arms once again. It seems like nobody's happy on Twitter except for... The people that are on Twitter because they love Twitter. So I don't know why they're always angry, but they're, they're, they're on Twitter, but yet they're angry about Twitter. And all this started, of course, when Elon took over Twitter. But now a big change on Twitter. They are going to force folks to use a two-factor authentication app instead of a phone number. Now, if you pay for Twitter Blue, which is their subscription service, you can still use your phone number. But they said, uh, historically, the phone numbers have been a a good form of two-factor authentication, but they have been abused by bad actors. So we're no longer going to allow counts to enroll in text message two-factor authentication. And if you're not familiar with two-factor authentication, that is when you use your phone number to secure your account. And when you try to log in, the service will text a number like a special one-time code to your phone and then you have to put in that code and the idea is that the bad person may have access to your account but they don't have access to your phone so they wouldn't get that that one-time text anyway if you're on twitter and you're not paying you're gonna have to use an app i recommend an app called authy or you can use an app called microsoft authenticator or google authenticator any of those will work in fact they're all better than using SMS in general, because SMS can be redirected, it can be intercepted, and so it's better in general. But you can still be mad. Uh, But I've been recommending two-factor authentication accounts for a long time, or two-factor authentication apps for a very long time. All right, coming up on the show, we are going to talk to Divya Kumar. She is the head of search at Bing. And if you've been following Bing, you know they've got this new AI system. We're going to talk to Divya about that coming up next on Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Joining me now is Divya Kumar. She is the Senior Director of Marketing for Search and AI at Microsoft. Divya, thanks for joining me. Very exciting week for you. It has been a very exciting week. Thank you for having me. So tell me about Bing AI. Is that what we're calling it? Is, and what have you learned in the past couple of days about how people are using this? Uh, we're calling it the new Bing. Uh, and we've been getting an incredible amount of feedback, overwhelmingly positive and uh, some very uh, appreciated uh, negative feedback as well, which is exactly what we wanted by launching the product. And we're seeing that a lot of people are actually engaging heavily with the chat experience, which is new um, because we've never had chat experience in search before. We are essentially introducing new user experiences as part of search and seeing how people are engaging with it has been fantastic. And obviously the reason it's an early product and the reason why we wanted to bring it to market is to start to get feedback from real world scenarios. And that's exactly what we've been getting. Everybody's stress testing it and then giving us feedback, and the team is hard at work trying to address some of the feedback that we're getting as well. So explain to me what is the new Bing. 
The new Bing um, is essentially powered by an AI model, uh, a very powerful AI model. We're calling it the Prometheus model. So what the Prometheus model is, is the latest model from OpenAI, more powerful than the one that's powering ChatGPT, combined with the search technology from Microsoft, and that's the Prometheus model. And so that model is, is what powers all of the search plus answer, search plus chat experience that you're seeing with the new Bing. Now, some people might think because ChatGPT became so popular seemingly overnight, Microsoft has the new Bing seemingly overnight. Have you been working on this for a while, or is this something that you just sort of cobbled together quickly? The team has been working on this for a while. Um, Obviously, Microsoft has had a partnership with OpenAI for a few years now, and the engineering team has been hard at work working on this. So it is not something that was just cobbled together overnight. And it's something that the team's been excited to bring to market and start to get real-world examples from. What is the power of the new Bing? What can I do with this new model, and how is it different than ChatGPT? The, the new Bing, what it does or what it offers for consumers is today's search hasn't fundamentally changed or search engines haven't fundamentally changed for over 20 years. And with the new Bing, what we've introduced is we've continued to give users choice with how search works today. So if you did a query, you still get the familiar blue links on the page. But for more, more nuanced queries, what we're also giving you is a distilled version of an answer. So you get a summarized answer. And so that way you have a great starting point with that. And we've also introduced a chat experience. So now you see an answer and you want to continue to refine it. You don't have to start a new search. You can go into chat mode and actually just converse with Bing to continue to refine that. And Bing actually remembers the context of the prompt that you gave. And so you're actually just having a very natural conversation with Bing to continue to refine that. So all of those um, capabilities are not something that you've seen with search before. So we've essentially just reinventing the category. Is this search engine and this AI learning who I am, like my preferences? Like if I mention that I like vegan food, does it remember that throughout my searches um, until I tell it otherwise? It only remembers the context of a single session. Uh, Obviously, the privacy policies that we have for search still applies to the new experience. So in a single context, so a few turns, it will remember the context. But after you've started a new search, the context doesn't pass through into the next one. It's very interesting, though, because it's so different than what I'm used to. And, and, you know, it kind of takes some getting used to. So what are some of the things I can do with this? And what's the advantage to this chat engine versus just regular search? Uh, One of some of the things that you can do is obviously search today does a few things really well, which is what designed to do it. If it's a navigational query or if it's an informational query, that is if you're wanting to just find a website, search is great for that. If you're wanting to find the latest sports scores, search is great for that. But if you get into territories where you want to find or you're searching for something a little bit more complex or nuanced, like you've got a query that might have multiple parameters. Hey, I want to go to this place and I want to know what the weather is and I want to get the five-star hotels there or whatever the combination of things are, you can now just ask Bing and you can give it those multiple parameters and it'll try to sort of cast a white net and pull together a summary, but it's a starting point. It'll have annotations and you can look at exactly where it's pulling content from. So it's for some of those sort of more nuanced queries where maybe you're not looking for one single answer and you want multiple and you're just looking for a starting point. So that's great for search. So I'm sitting here with uh, Divya Kumar, the Senior Director of Marketing for Search and AI at Microsoft. We're actually at a Microsoft event where they're having journalists in to kind of check out 
the new Bing. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the recent news reports. These folks that have posted screenshots of, you know, and we've seen the headlines that Bing AI has already gone off the rails. You know, they really kind of poked and prodded this uh, this new AI search to return some really wild answers, uh, making fun of people, questioning their existence, all these things that I've seen online. What do you make of that? Is, is that real, number one? Um, is that expected? And why is that happening? One of the reasons why we decided to go to market now is there's only so much you can test something so nascent as an AI-based product within, the, within Microsoft, within the company itself. And we wanted to get early adopters and people who are willing to test, stress test the system out and get their hands on the product. And so the feedback is actually welcome feedback because we actually now have a huge, much more bigger sample size of people just testing it out, what's working, what's not working. And as soon as we are seeing some of the feedback come in, we've got a team taking copious notes of the kind of feedback, testing it again within Microsoft and trying to address some of those problems. And we kind of put out a blog yesterday, especially calling out some of the feedback that we've seen from the market, both positive and negative. And it's very welcome and actually expected. This is also one of the reasons why we're actually putting it out there. And we want to get more critical feedback. We want to get both negative, positive feedback uh, and tell us, you know, feature options like what would you like to see in the product? And so we want to, over time, iterate and improve to get make sure that everybody's confident, the consumers, us, before we actually scale out. Now, this got me to download the Edge Explorer uh, or the Edge uh, web browser. It got me to use Bing as my search engine. Is that all kind of the point of this is to get people to use Bing? And you think if they're using Bing for the first time with this new AI tech, they're going to be impressed? And maybe you'll take some market share from the market leader? There's a lot of opportunity for Bing to grow in the market. And at the end of the day, our focus is to make sure that we're actually bringing unique consumer value. And that's the focus. How can search be better? The search category hasn't really changed fundamentally for a long time. We see an opportunity for it to do better and to actually offer value. We hope with that value, we are seeing higher engagement. And that would be the ultimate goal, is to provide value, engage users, um, and there's only upside. How do folks get access to the new Bing? Go to bang.com slash new or go to bang.com and sign up for the waitlist. Divya Kumar, Senior Director of Marketing for Search and AI at Microsoft. Thanks so much for joining me today. More of Rich on Tech coming up after this. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. My name is Rich Demiro. You can find me online at Rich on Tech. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Where else? I think that's it for now <laughs> oh also the true app try true.com slash rich on tech and uh, my website rich on can you sense the pattern there let's go to freddie in new york freddie you're on yeah. with rich hello, hello rich uh, um can you recommend a recorder for amazon firewire like a dvr so like a dvr for yeah. for you said for fire stick yes Okay, DVR for Fire Stick. Good question. Um, so, uh, so it's funny. Uh, Amazon had their own for a while. It was called the Recast TV, which I purchased day one because I thought it was so great. And then they dropped it, <laughs> like everything Amazon does. Amazon, I don't know who has a shorter attention span, Amazon or Google, because they put out products and then they drop them. 
And so I had this recast recorder as a DVR that connects to an antenna and it integrates very nicely with the Fire Stick. But I don't believe they sell it anymore. So that one is probably a non-starter. And I just tossed mine, sadly. Uh, It was, let's see, do they still sell it? No, they don't sell it anymore. Okay, so my second choice for this, if you want a DVR for your Fire Stick, would be to do something called Tableau, T-A-B-L-O. And this is the other thing I have hooked up in my house. I have an antenna on my roof because why pay for local channels when you can get them over the air? And so if you have one of these devices, you can record it like a DVR and then send it through your Fire Stick. And there's a Tableau app. And what I like about Tableau is that they've got native apps for most of the main devices. So if you have an Apple TV, if you have a Fire TV, what's the other one? Chromecast, uh, Roku. So they're, they're pretty much like they know what they're doing. And you get this little box, you connect your antenna to the box, the box sometimes has built-in hard drive other times you have to connect a hard drive to it to get that storage space and then you can record stuff and the way that tableau works and what i like about it is that you can either pay it's a couple bucks a month i think it's either five bucks a month to record to set scheduled recordings like two weeks out or you can not pay and then you can't really set scheduled recordings but you can you can still record stuff it's just more manual so it's kind of like that freemium model where they get you on board and you can decide do you want to you know pay more or pay less so that's the one I, I like is the tableau and then of course once you're looking at the tableau page you have to decide how many things you want to record at once so they've got different tableau products that have different tuners in them so the standard one has two channels at once and then the higher end one has four channels at once so you once you connect your antenna it will either split it into two you know recordings or into four depends how much stuff you want to record now there are other products out there that can do this there's a product called air tv made by sling and this is a product I've tested in the past. I have not tested it in a while, but it's very similar. But this one is much more integrated into Sling TV. So if you have a Sling TV subscription, the idea is that your local channels will live alongside channels like HGTV and all those other channels that are on your programming grid. So that's another one. But that's sort of its own thing. So Air TV is much more of a... Uh, how do I explain that? It's much more like if you're a Sling TV subscriber, it's probably better to have that. But I think Tableau is better if you just are, you know, doing your own thing. Of course, TiVo also has their own product. They have, uh, TiVo was my first DVR, and I I was a big fan of TiVo for so many years. I, I, I'll never forget buying the first TiVo. I've told this story so many times. I have two stories, actually. I bought a TiVo. I was actually late for work. I was working in Yakima, Washington, and I got this TiVo delivered to my house. And the you know delivery, I was working like the night shift, like the 3 p.m. shift. In TV news, you have like two shifts. You have like the morning shift or like the afternoon shift, which starts at 3. So I was doing the 3 p.m. to midnight shift. And I was late because I got this DVR. I was so excited. It was the first time I had ever seen a DVR in my entire life. And back then, to get this thing set up, you had to connect it to a phone line like a traditional phone line this is how old this is we're going back many many years and to download the initial software and the programming guide it was an epic event i'm talking an hour and a half two hours so by the time i did this i started it i couldn't stop i didn't want to you know i couldn't stop doing this and so i said you know i'm gonna be late for work so i was late for work i set up the whole thing it was amazing then 
I this is when Survivor was big. I invited over all my friends from the TV station. You know, we were all like in our 20s, so everyone pretty much worked and then partied together afterwards. And so I invited them all over for a Survivor viewing party. And unbeknownst to them, I paused Survivor in the middle of the show, which had never been done before because nobody had ever seen DVR. So you never knew that you could pause live TV. And so I do this and the room just went, what just happened? And, you know, everyone dropped their Apple teenies, which I think was the, the drink at the time. <laughs> that goes to show how old it was. There might have been some beer there, too. But Apple teeny, I think, was the hot drink. Uh, anyway, so I paused it. And I, of course, had to explain to people like what this was. And I was into tech back then, although I was a regular reporter back then. But it was such a it's such a moment that I remember in my head. We were all sitting on like, you know, cheap folding chairs and stuff. I mean, it was our first job. Anyway, uh, and I love TiVo ever since. I recommended TiVo to everyone. And, you know, it's just this learning experience of like what a DVR is. And now we take for granted what a DVR is. But now DVRs have sort of fallen out of favor for streaming because these companies don't like DVRs because DVRs let you record stuff and skip over ads. With streaming, they control it because they get to put the ads in between, you know, where the commercials typically would have been. So that's why we've seen streaming take over uh, the DVR situation, but TiVo still does have a DVR that you can connect a, uh, I don't know if you can connect an antenna to it, but you can definitely connect a cable card to it. So let's see, can you connect the, the antenna to the back? I'm not sure. I haven't, I, I think you can, you still should be able to, but anyway, there's this called the TiVo Romeo. Uh, but personally, Freddie, I know long story all to explain <laughs> just to give you my answer. I think that the Tableau is probably the way to go. It's going to work very well with your Fire TV. And I think that's going to be the best case scenario. So uh, anyway, brought back some memories for me. Thanks a lot for that. Appreciate it. All right. You just heard my interview with the, uh, the, the head of search at Bing. So we know that Bing, uh, the new Bing has come out. And they've had some issues with it because people were leading this chat bot down some pretty dark, uh, dark paths and it was getting kind of angry. And so there was a whole big article from uh, lots of different news outlets, AP, one of them, NBC News saying is Bing too belligerent. Microsoft is looking to tame their AI chat bot. Some of the things that is said, basically, if you chatted with Bing's AI for too long, it would kind of go nuts because it lost its way. It kind of forgot what you were talking about and it would become repetitive and it would give you responses that were just not helpful. So Microsoft figured out that in long extended chat sessions of 15 or more questions, it would just go kind of nuts. And it, it's you could see the, the screenshots online, but here's one of the examples. It, Bing said to a user, you're lying to me. You're lying to me. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to everyone with an angry red emoji face. I don't appreciate you lying to me. I don't like you spreading falsehoods about me. I don't trust, I don't trust you anymore. I don't generate falsehoods. I generate facts. I generate truth. I generate knowledge. I generate wisdom. I generate Bing. <laughs> what? <laughs> so odd. So what they have learned in the first week is that um, long chats are not good for this new Bing. And so now, as of uh, right now, the chat experienced is capped at 50 chat turns per day and five chat turns per session. A turn is a conversation exchange which contains both a user question and a reply from Bing. So I guess they found that 
you know, if you're if you're talking to Bing too much in a chat, it's not good. Now, I've been using, I somehow got access to the new Bing. Uh, if you go to bing.com slash new and you sign up on the wait list, I was granted access. And I'm not kidding. It is phenomenal. I know that we are seeing all the headlines about how wild and crazy it can get, but it is single-handedly the most, the new most useful tool I have available to me. I have been using it nonstop ever since I got access to ask all kinds of things. So you can ask it for, you know, you could say, hey, I've got these five ingredients in my refrigerator. What can I make? You can ask uh, research about products. You can ask for information um, about almost anything. I mean, it's really incredible. You can say, I'm going to New York City for 48 hours. What should I hit up while I'm there? You know, what should I do? And it can do that. So you got to try it out. You know, watch out for all the hype. I get it. It's still an experimental thing. We're still learning from this, but it is quite incredible. And Google definitely has some competition. I don't know if it's overnight going to take down Google, but Bing is back. I'm telling you. It's, it's one of these things that when you start using it, you will realize that, wow, this changes everything. I'm no longer searching and clicking links. I'm just getting answers. And I'm really having a conversation with this, this bot that feels almost human. Now, today, I will say, after all these little issues I was talking about, Bing has definitely, you know, capped it off a little bit. So it's not as fun as it was two days ago, but it's still very useful. All right, coming up on the show, we still got a lot more. We're going to talk to the co-founder of an app called Flyfin. This is an app that helps you figure out all the deductions you can take on your taxes. Plus, I'm going to share my thoughts on the Samsung Galaxy S23 cameras, and we're going to talk about something called dark patterns. Phone lines are open at 888-RICH-101. You are listening to me, Rich DeMuro, here on Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. My name is Rich DeMuro, talking technology and answering your questions at 1-888-RICH-101. That's 888-742-4101. Well, Samsung's new S23 Ultra is now on sale, as well as the S23 and the S23 Plus. But the Ultra is the one that I've been testing. It features the brand new 200 megapixel camera. It also has a really high price tag of $1,200, that is. Should you buy it? Should you upgrade? Well, to test it out, I took over 500 photos and 175 videos with the phone in a whole bunch of different places. It happened to be in San Francisco, LA, and the New York area since I was home. So I went to New York City to test this thing out as well. I really wanted to try out the photos in low light because Samsung's promoting this whole idea of nitography. I don't know if that's a word they made up. I guess that means nighttime photos. And uh, I also thought that this device is a little bit easier to hold because of the squared off edges, which I like because I actually wrote in my last review that the last couple of Samsungs have been tougher to hold because of the edges are kind of rounded. Uh, the S23 Ultra is the one that I would pick if I was going with one of these Samsungs. And the reason for that is because it gives you everything. I mean, really, this is like the Rolls Royce of smartphones. You know, you get the giant 6.8-inch screen. You get the long-lasting battery. You get the stylus. Now, the S23 and the S23 Plus are fine if you're upgrading from one of those models. But if you want everything that Samsung has to offer, the Ultra is where it's at. So how were the pictures? Well, for starters, you're not going to be taking 200 megapixel pictures. That's, I mean, you can, but those pictures are like 35 megabytes each. They take a little bit to actually capture. Uh, 
And they look great if you're zooming in on your picture or you want to crop it or if you're making billboards out of your photos. But otherwise, on a daily basis, you're going to be, you're going to be taking 12 megapixel photos. They've got lenses for ultra-wide pictures, regular, and macro shots. The zoom is really incredible on this phone because even though it goes up to 100 times zoom, that's more of a party trick. You're going to be most interested in zoom up to 10 times, which is amazing because that's optical. And even up to 30 times is pretty useful. So if you are sitting you know, further back or you just want to get a better shot of something, the, the 10 times zoom is quite remarkable. So that's really nice. Now, the low-light shots are where I have a little bit of issue with this phone because if something's not moving, it's going to look great. So low-light shots in, you know, of steady things like a restaurant or anything that's outside or anything inside that's not moving are going to look good. The, it, the camera gets enough light to sort of make those look good. But if things are moving, that's where it gets a bit more tricky. And this really kind of annoys me because this is such a nice, expensive phone. I feel like every picture should be perfect every single time, and they're not. Sometimes there's going to be some blur when you take a picture in low light. And, you know, you may have to take a second picture to see if that goes away. Hopefully they can fix that with a software update. Uh, sometimes photos of people might look washed out in certain lighting conditions. I noticed that outdoor pictures, well-lit shots, they're always going to look incredible. Samsung really nails it there with low light selfies. It's kind of another story. Sometimes the phone gets it right. Sometimes you get a blurry picture. So just hold your phone for a little bit longer than you might think if you're taking a selfie with this. Now, when it comes to video, we actually shot an entire story for KTLA on this phone and, uh, you know, it looked fine, but it was a bit flat and a little less contrasty than the iPhone. The iPhone is still the king of mobile video, that's for sure. When it comes to video stability, it is incredible. Samsung says they improved the stability. They really did. So it, the, the stability of the video is really, really good. Now, portrait mode, which is another feature on this phone, which blurs the background. That is amazing. You can take, I mean, some of your best pictures are going to be portrait mode pictures. It's just really, really good. And there's so many neat little things you can do with the portrait mode pictures once, you're, once you've taken them. Like you can adjust the background in so many different ways. That's really cool. Portrait video is similar to a portrait photo, except it's video. That's improved a lot. And um, overall, I think that this is an excellent camera system. I really do. It's a fun phone. It's one of my favorites. It's probably going to be my favorite of 2023 after the iPhone um, and I think that Samsung will continue to tweak. I mean, they, I think Samsung with their software updates is doing really good things. Like a phone like last year's S21, it started out, or S22 rather, started out okay. And by the end of the year, it was excellent. So these phones last for a long time. You've got a, a couple of years of use, like four or five years. So this is a new sensor setup. It's going to take some time for them to kind of see how people are using it and adjust. So bottom line, if you love using various software photo and video features, you're going to love this phone. Uh, it doesn't always nail the photo or video the first time like it would on the iPhone, the latest iPhones, or the Pixel, but it's still a very powerful device that gives you just about every feature you can imagine in the palm of your hand. If you want to watch my review, my video review with all the pictures that I took, you can uh, go to my Twitter or go to, actually go to my website, richontech.tv. All right, let's go to Mike in Duarte, California. Mike, you're on with Rich. How are you doing, Rich? I am doing fantastic. How are you? A couple things. You know, I have the same problem as you with streaming on a Friday night and nothing on. And so my uh, my uncle reminded me of a legacy device that you can get literally millions of titles on. He called it a book. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's what I told my kids the other day when they were bored. I said, go read a book. You can you can explore the world on those pages. And yeah. I'm well, a big... I have many books, and I'm always searching the TV. I've never read that book. Well, I shouldn't have read that. But, uh, yeah, I have the same problem. But what can I help time. you with today? Well, I, a couple of things. Uh, purchased a new Android, and my old one still I'm able to stream via... Uh, you know, picking off my uh, cable, um, Wi-Fi. Is there any security issue with using my old phone around the house for doing that now that I have a new Android? No, I don't. I don't see any reason why that would be a problem. What uh, have you? So you took the the SIM out of the old phone, or you you activated the new phone? This one just has Wi-Fi. It's Wi-Fi only, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see any danger or issue with that at all. Now, have you turned off the mobile? like data on it have you turned off like like just left it in wi-fi mode they did it at the shop i think i'll double check that but but yeah um, so what i would do is i would just flip the phone into like airplane mode and then just turn on wi-fi and do it that way so that way you're not you don't have that antenna the the cellular antenna firing like it's just not functional so you don't need it I see. And if you need Bluetooth, you can you know turn that on. But yeah, that's what I would do is just. And now I would take it a step further. I would probably wipe the whole phone and start fresh and just install the apps, only the apps that you need on there, so that uh-huh. you're not you know getting double notifications and all that stuff on this phone from your old. I was device. concerned about uh, deleting the contacts on my phone, thinking, well, is that going to carry over into my new phone and delete the contacts from there too? It depends where they're stored. Are you using, it's an Android, so they're typically stored on Google. So the, you, you should be able to format that phone, but if you delete individual contacts and they are linked to your Google account, they would delete off your other phone. But okay. now if you just factory format the phone, it's not going to delete them. And by the way, if you want to check to see where your contacts are are if they're stored on google you can go to contacts.google.com from a web browser and as long as you're logged into google you should see uh, and have a pretty good idea if your contacts are stored on google or if they're just on your phone come in handy perfect one quick question do i need carbonite if i'm using OneDrive on my home pc now you didn't say you had another question i'm gonna have to charge you for the second question uh, Leo Laporte would have let me ask too. Okay, we'll let it slide because Leo would do it. All right, fine. Um, do you need Carbonite if you're using OneDrive? It depends what you're backing up. I mean, Carbonite is more of a full solution for what you're backing up, whereas OneDrive is more of a, you know, OneDrive is more of like just your photos and, and you know, whatever you're putting up into there. So are you backing up your entire computer or just photos? The entire computer I'm okay. concerned with. Then I'd probably stick with Carbonite because that's going to be an entire computer solution. Now, for me personally, like I used to back up my entire computer, but at this point I don't really need that anymore because everything's in the cloud. So for me, I just use the individual cloud services to back up things on my computer, whether it's the documents, whether it's the photos. So I don't really do like a full computer backup anymore because when I'm getting a new computer, I just want to start fresh anyway. So um, I think I'll keep it for a while. Well, thank you very much. And you have a great weekend. All right, my, uh, Mike, you too. Thanks so much for calling today. All right, coming up next, 
Got a lot to talk about. Uh, a great app called Flyfin. We've got the CEO and co-founder, Jadeep Singh. He's going to tell us how you can find and keep track of all your write-offs, especially if you're a freelancer. This is a very handy app. We're going to talk to Jadeep. Plus, I'm going to talk uh, about dark patterns. What is a dark pattern? We're going to talk about that coming up next. Plus, more of your calls at 888-RICH-101. 888-742-4101. You are listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. My name is Rich Demiro. Hanging out with you, talking technology and answering your questions at 888-RICH-101. You can find me online at richontech.tv or on social media at richontech. Usually every week I tell you what I've been posting to my Instagram. Let's see. What did I post this week? Uh, mm. Oh, I had to check folks a little bit. <laughs> I had to check. People were asking, was I okay? Because I posted, you know, I just, I just wanted to, anytime I do a story that people don't agree with, whether it's like a robot driving a car or a robot flipping burgers or a robot doing some kind of job that humans can do, you know, I get the haters. And the people commenting and telling me I shouldn't cover this stuff and I'm ruining the world and I'm getting rid of jobs. And so I just had to tell people, like, look, I'm not the one inventing this stuff. I'm just reporting on it so you're not blindsided when they come for your jobs. The robots are coming for your jobs. Now AI is coming for your job. I'm just telling you in advance so that you're prepared and you can plan accordingly. So I just had to let people know that. So I posted that, uh, posted a picture of me and my siblings, me and my wife for Valentine's Day. And then, yeah, me. Oh, gosh, a lot of me this week. And then me at KTLA. Uh, you know, I'm the tech reporter for KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles. And this week was my is, I should say, my 12 year anniversary there. 12 years in one place at one job. Remarkable for me, because when I was first offered the gig there, uh, they said I could have it for like three months. So I'm glad it's lasted this long. Let's go to Kenny in Nashville, Tennessee. Kenny, you're on with Rich. Hey, Rich. How's it going? Uh, first of all, congratulations on being on KTLA TV for 12 years. Another 28, and then you can catch Fred Rogan. Oh, my gosh. I don't. That, you know, I interned at KNBC when I was in college, and Fred was uh, one of the people I shadowed. And uh, he he was great. I mean, I couldn't. I, gosh, back then they printed out scripts that were on like five different um, pieces of paper that were like different colors. And you would have someone they called it a script ripper. They would take the scripts mm-hmm. and they would rip them apart and divide them. Anyway, Fred was a nice guy. So or still is. I mean, I just don't know him anymore. But anyway, <laughs> what can I help you with? Well, uh, I've been calling because. I've noticed more and more, and I know that I'm probably not the only one that has this problem, but I have an Apple TV 4K second-generation model, and I've noticed more and more that there's been problems with YouTube TV as far as buffering on certain parts of the day. Now, I've probably noticed it because it was NFL season, and also considering that they just made a deal to get NFL, the timing cannot be more interesting from that perspective. And I should let you know that I have other devices with YouTube TV, and it doesn't do anything bad as far as buffering. What I mean is like you see that white circle of death when you're watching a video and it stops. And my question is, is it? I've been kind of debating maybe it's the time for me to get the third-generation 4K model 
or should I just maybe try different tricks like, say, delete the app per se, or maybe just uh, swipe the TV itself and restore it and maybe see if that could solve the problem with the buffering. It's interesting because we had a very similar question a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm wondering if there's a pattern here. Now, I have YouTube TV on my Apple TV, and I had both the 4K... uh, Now, I know they just came out with a new 4K. I don't... It was the last one, the first generation or the second. I can't remember, but... They, I think it was the third generation model. Okay, so there's there's been two generations of 4K, I think. The one was in 2017, and then the other one was just recently in November. So I just upgraded to the new one. And anyway, my point is I haven't had a problem with either of them, so I'm not sure if it's an isolated thing or if it's your network thing. Now, what I would do is troubleshoot the situation. So you mentioned that YouTube TV works on your other devices. So with that in mind, it seems like it's a problem with the Apple TV. So... What I would do with the Apple TV is a couple things. Number one, is this connected via Wi-Fi or an Ethernet cable? It's connected via Wi-Fi. Okay. Is there is there an Ethernet connection on the on the first generation of this 4K? There is, right? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Because I know with that in the second generation. Well, with the new one, the the most recent one, I think the Ethernet is an option. Like you have to. You have to get the one oh, with the Ethernet. Yeah. So so what I would do is, since you still have that, I would plug it in via Ethernet and turn off the Wi-Fi and see if the problem still happens. Now, the other thing you mentioned is that this problem seems to happen at certain times during the day. Do you have cable or fiber? I have fiber, basically. Okay. So if you have fiber, then that's not really an issue. I was going to say, with cable, it's more of a shared connection. So it, it sometimes could buffer at different times of the day. But fiber is pretty much just to you. So it's not that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Well, basically, I have like gig internet, but it's provided by a company that also does cable as well. So I don't know if that kind of helps you out in that regard. Mm, but if it's fiber, it probably is more of a direct connection. So I think that's not the issue here. Uh, and if you're also on a fiber connection, that's pretty fast. There shouldn't be any buffering whatsoever with that. So here's what I would do. I think the old Apple TV that you have is still fine. I mean, it's it's you know it's going on a couple years old. You can upgrade if you want, but the problem may persist. If you're not seeing this problem on other apps, then I think it's a problem with the YouTube TV app. So what I would do personally is I'd first test the wide, wired connection, see if that's contributing. If you're still getting buffering with that, I would go ahead and delete the YouTube app, YouTube TV completely. I would restart the Apple TV, and then I would reinstall the app and see if that works. Have you done all that? Mm-hmm. Well, I may as well try that and see what happens. Um, but that's real good advice there. I figured that's probably the advice that you had there, and um, I'll definitely keep that in mind. And uh, I'll let you go because I know it's getting close to a hard break. Um, have a little bit of radio experience in knowing that myself. But uh, you're having a good show so far in your first few weeks. I wanted to kind of let you know that, and you have a good rest of the day. All right. Thanks so much, Kenny. I'm actually going to be in Nashville later this year. Uh, so that's going to be exciting. I love Nashville. What a great city. Uh, all right. Let me just tell you if you have T Mobile, uh, real quick. They are updating their automatic payment rules, according to CNET. And if you are paying by a credit card, you're no longer going to get your auto pay discount. So according to CNET, they confirm that starting as early as May, 
You're only going to get your auto pay discount if you use a debit card or a bank account. This is similar to what Verizon does. You've got to pay with your basically your checking account or your debit card to get your auto pay discount. So if you have T-Mobile, you might want to think about switching over to a debit card or your checking. I would personally use a debit card, not your checking account. I don't like to give companies access to my checking account, but that is what's happening here. So the reason why it costs them more to process credit cards, you've got 80 million customers. Uh, even if you save a, a dime on each customer, you're saving a lot of money by making people switch to debit cards or checking accounts, which are cheaper to process. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to the CEO of Flyfin about an app that can help you find and manage your tax deductions. You're listening to Rich Demiro here on Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. This is the show where I talk about the tech stuff I think you should know about. It's also the place where I answer your questions about technology. The phone number is 888-RICH-101. That's 888-742-4101. All right. On the line is Jadeep Singh. He is the co-founder of Flyfin. This is an app that uses artificial intelligence to help you keep track of basically all of your write-offs and expenses and things for your taxes. And it is tax season. Jadeep, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rich. So tell me about Flyfin. This is an app. I actually discovered this app through an ad on Instagram, of all places, and quickly downloaded it and tried it out. And it's quite good. We've heard so much about AI in the past couple of weeks, and this uses it to sort of categorize transactions and really help you just get through your taxes very quickly. Um, Tell me about the app. Yeah. First of all, Rich, it's awesome that you discovered the app and have tried it. Um, it's, you know, gives you a lot more context. It's uh, really an interesting product that is, um, I would say, in some ways, completely changes the experience for 1099 taxes. Uh, people, you know, in the gig economy, there's about 70 million of us now in this gig economy, and it's the fastest changing sector. And taxes of 1099 workers, freelancers, entrepreneurs, Self-employed, just complicated because you have this complicated schedule, so you have to be like a small business. And Flyfin does a few things really uniquely that makes the whole experience completely different um, and very, very useful. Um, basically, it uses AI to do everything really efficiently. So what that means is once you connect with Flyfin, it's always on, right? It's doing your... AI bookkeeping every day for, you know, sole proprietors, entrepreneurs, self-employed people. And you can see your tax savings daily, weekly, monthly. We find people in all different categories. And it's mostly doing it for you. And you just get to review a few things, really kind of also learn along the way. That's the second really important thing because we have CPAs integrated right in the app flow. Uh, And great tutorial. So while you're using the product, uh, you know, AI is doing the classification of expenses into deductions. You're seeing how, you know, things are changing every day. Are you learning about new deductions? And when it comes to this season of the year, we have an end-to-end tax filing system. All this goes flows automatically into our CPA, and you get a, you know, really world-class expert CPA who's got all the data in place. They don't need to ask you too many other questions, so it's very time-efficient, and they can file the tax return for you at 
you know, a really affordable price of under two hundred dollars for everything for the AI and the tax filing. All right, so, so let, let me let me explain. Let me explain how the app works real quick, uh, just so um, if you're listening, you're, you're you know understanding it. So it basically connects to your accounts. So you can connect your credit card or your bank accounts, and then all of your transactions filter into the app. So whether you bought something at Target, whether you bought something at Amazon, and then it kind of works like Tinder almost, where you swipe left or you swipe right. So if you swipe left, you're rejecting that as something that is not business related or related to your freelance jobs. If you're, let's say, an Uber driver driver or you do something in the gig economy and you swipe right and then you can categorize it. And so it knows that, you know, if you bought something at, let's say, uh, an airline, it would say, okay, we're thinking that this goes into the travel category and the AI helps categorize that. And it learns over time, you know, what these different transactions mean from obviously other people using the app as well and categorizing. But there's also this little light bulb that you can press that explains kind of like the tax implications of everything. So for instance, I'm looking at convenience and grocery stores. Grocery and convenience store items can only be deducted if used for your business. And so you can do that for almost any sort of category that you see on the app. And so just that idea of like categorizing your transactions as you go along throughout the year is really helpful. But if there's a question you have, you can uh, sort of fling it up to a CPA that Flyfin has on the backside. So you can ask a question and say, hey, I subscribe to you know Netflix. Can I deduct this for my job reviewing movies? And the CPA will come back and you know give you an answer on that. So JD, did I do a good job of explaining that? I think that was a fantastic job. It kind of really made it vivid, even for me. And, and that's exactly how it works. The CPA is integrated right in. Like you said, swipe up. If you're unsure, the light bulb wasn't enough, and you can get an answer and move, move right along. So you've got the combination of AI plus the CPAs. I think that's really the magical moment for me on this app, that it's, you know, you've got a real human there if you need them to kind of explain things, because taxes are very, very complicated for some unknown reason. Exactly. And, you know, I've been an AI guy my entire career, um, but I have to tell you, AI has limits, right? Even as you see ChatGPT today, it makes lots of errors. So... In my experience, it's always AI combined with smart human beings that manifest machine that produces the best experience results, saves a ton of time, and gets things done right, where you can just relax and it's things being taken care of for you. Who do you think an app like this is good for? Because, you know, there's, there's stuff like TurboTax that helps you do your taxes at the end of the year, but this is more of like a daily kind of use case scenario. Who do you think this is good for? Yeah, it's actually, it's not good for everyone, to be honest with you. If you have this straightforward W-2 um, income, TurboTax is a great product, right? But if you have a complicated tax return for these 70 million Americans who are in the big economy, taxes are really complicated. Most of them who can afford to end up going to CPAs. So it's really great for people who have to spend 10 hours, 20 hours putting together spreadsheets, getting their shoebox of receipts, then going to a CPA and having them do their tax returns, still being unsure about what they did. In this case, you can throw that shoebox receipt out the door because we're getting a digital transaction. We don't need receipts, right? And um, the app is, you know, you can classify a year's worth of expenses. And, Rich, how long does it take you? I'm curious. Yeah, when I downloaded the app the first time, when I linked up my accounts, I it, what I like, too, is that it, it kind of 
groups things. So if you have a recurring charge, like let's say your phone bill or your internet bill, once you classify that once, it says, hey, you've got you know 12 of these bills from AT&T and you say, okay, that's my internet. And then you can classify all of those in one swipe, which is also really smart. So it only took me 20 to 30 minutes to go through the entire 2022 worth of, of expenses. Exactly. And going forward, as a user this year, you would have probably wouldn't recognize. It's just, like you said, it's kind of like Tinder. It's fun at the end of the week or whenever you get two minutes or 30 seconds to just go through what transpired this week, what is AI suggesting that we take as deductions. And you learn along the way, and it's, it's kind of fun. You're saving money, you know. What's not fun about saving money? And, so, yeah. you know, it's, it is. It's amazing that you did in 20, 30 minutes. It's fantastic. And you also kind of have a, a, a fun... Um you know, attitude on your social media where you explain to folks on like Instagram and Twitter, like, here are some of the deductions you can take. Here are some of the different, you know, you kind of give like little mini lessons, but in a very social media, TikTok-y kind of way, right? Exactly. I mean, if you think about it, one of the most boring subjects in the world is taxes, right? So to kill that boredom, we try to make it as fun as possible. Look on the app and just like you said on Instagram, where, you know, you get real people to talk about stuff, not, even though we have so many CPAs, it's not just a boring CPA lecturing people. Now, what type of costs are we talking about for this app? I know you can pay like monthly or yearly. What type of uh, costs are we talking about here? Yeah, so, you know, um, the plan actually when you subscribe is an annual plan because taxes are done on an annual basis. So we have uh, three different plans, a basic plan where if you have a CPA or a different method of doing taxes, you can just use the AI, uh, and basic is about $7 a month, which is about $84 for the year, right? Then we have a standard plan, which is uh, 16 or 192 for the year, and in that, not only do you get the whole AI, but you get a CPA to file your taxes. You can upload, upload your documents digitally really easily. Uh, CPA prepares everything, just like, you know, and with any normal CPA, you review uh, your tax return, sign it, and you e-file it for you. So that's the basic plan. And if you have a little bit more complicated uh, business where you have um, F-Corps, LLCs, we will take care of those as well. And, we, and this is included state and federal. It's very clear transparent pricing. And um, that is about $348, $29 a month for the, if you have an LLC and S-Corp. But again, it's a CPA-led filing, and AI is doing all the grunt work and the hard work for you, and the app's kind of making it fun for you. The app does make it fun. We're going to leave it there. Jay Deep Singh, uh, co-founder of Flyfin. I love swiping through my expenses and saying, was that a business expense? Was that a personal expense? It is kind of fun. I don't know how you made taxes fun, but you did, although I haven't filed yet. So I guess I'll tell you if they're fun at the end of the year or at the end of the, so you know, we don't make it non-fun. the filing season. Thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. All right. Coming up on the show, we're going to talk about dark patterns. I'm going to explain what that is, plus more of your calls at 888 one. 888-742-4101. You're listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Phone lines are open at 888-RICH-101. If you're listening to the last segment about the tax app, you can always find links to what I mentioned here on my website. It is richontech.tv. Wall Street Journal article my wife sent me this morning she thought was interesting. Uh, It's titled, They Found a Radical Cure for Loneliness, The Phone Call. And 
you know, my wife's a counselor, and I thought this was this was really interesting because I think about this all the time. I have all these text chains going with my friends, and you know, we text once in a while, right? It's just like these little pops throughout your day, and you feel like you're connected with your friends, but are you really connected with your friends? And then I go out for a drink with my friend, or I hang out with them for even you know a short amount of time, an hour, just to catch up, or even if I call them on the phone. And I feel like, wow, I've learned so much about you in the past 30 minutes. We've been texting for the last two months. And just by hanging out, you feel that closeness and you feel that connection with someone. And so I guess I'm not the only one. Uh, so this article uh, from Julie Jargon, one of their uh, their family tech columnists, talks about how these little short written updates feel very transactional between people. And she kind of positioned this with women in her article, but I think this applies to men too. I think that, you know, the thesis of the whole article is that people are texting a lot, but they're not connecting a lot. And so she interviewed a few folks that actually started connecting with their friends in bigger ways, notably phone calls where you actually talk to someone or hanging out with them in person. And they found that their relationship and how they felt as a human was actually better. They felt happier. And I agree with this 100%. I'm not saying it's easy. Believe me. I always have plans to go out with people and hang out, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. But I'll do this thing sometimes where my friend the other day, we were texting in the airport, and he said, give me a call when you have a chance. And, you know, because I was asking him something. And typically, I would put off that call for a long time, and I'd say, ah, I'll call Dave when I have the chance to call him. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to call Dave right now. I'm in the airport. I'm waiting for my plane. And I did. And it was great. We caught up. We chatted. We had a great conversation. And I, you know, we exchanged more in that 20, 30 minutes of chatting than we would have over a thousand text messages. And so I guess my thesis is call your friends, hang out with your friends. I know we do this thing where anytime someone wants to talk to you, they have to text you and say, when's a good time to call? surprise someone. Just call them up and see what happens. I like to do this. And guess what? 90% of the time, my phone call goes to voicemail because they just, they just send it to voicemail because they're not expecting me to call them. It's why, when did we take this turn in this world where calling someone is a surprise, right? And, and you've gotten the thing where you call someone and they text you right back, say, Hey, I can't talk right now. I'm in a meeting or I'll, I'll call you back later. And then that call never happens. So I don't know. I feel like this whole world of like connecting with folks, we feel like we're connected, but actually connect. That's my thesis. We're connecting with you on the Rich on Tech Show. More of your phone calls at 888-RICH-101, 888-742-4101. Coming up, I'll tell you about dark patterns and why you should be aware of them. You're listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. My name is Rich Demiro, tech reporter at KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles. Here on the radio with you, talking technology, answering your calls, and just here for you. You got a question about tech? Give me a call. The phone lines are open. It's 888-RICH-101. 888-742-4101. Now, I mentioned earlier in the show I was home in New Jersey with my family. Uh, I say my family. I mean, like, you know, I've got my family in Los Angeles, but I mean my family I grew up with in New Jersey, like my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sisters. There's five of us, by the way. Well, seven if you include my parents. So 
Yeah, there's. I grew up with four siblings, so it's always a party when we get together. I mean, there's there's just a lot of us now. Of course, you've got significant others, you've got kids, you've got girlfriends, boyfriends, you've got all kinds of folks. So literally, when we get together, it's a party instantly, which is really fun. It's, it's just always been that way. It can get kind of rowdy, too, but that's a whole other story. Uh, so when I'm home, and I'm sure if you are at all techie in your life, and by the way, this show is for techies and non-techies. It's not just for tech folks. It's for just regular people that are you know struggling with technology, just like we all are sometimes. But when I'm home, I, of course, become the de facto tech support for my parents. I told you about my mom and her internet. Now, my dad, I was helping him out with a couple of things online. And namely, we were changing his password manager. He was just telling me that certain things didn't work on his computer. And so I was just kind of going through cleaning things up there. And it, it occurred to me. I, I So one of the things that we tried to do was get his Google Photos figured out. He's got like a couple different accounts. And I was like, all right, let's consolidate some things. And then he said his space was running out on one account. And so he wanted to clean up some storage on there. And so I said, all right, let's, let me show you how to clean up some storage. So with Google, you can go to one.google.com, one.google.com. And while I watched him do this, you know, a couple things emerged. Number one, um, a lot of people search for things versus actually going into the website itself. So if you go on Chrome and you start typing like one.google.com, like I would press enter to go to directly to that website. But a lot of people actually will click the option to search and so now all of a sudden you're in this search on Google and that could lead to a lot of not so good things because it may lead to a website that's not the one you intended to go to and all this different stuff. And I watched that happen with him. And also with the one.google.com, once we got onto that website, I couldn't believe how many different things, you know, pop-ups and messages and things were kind of misleading all getting him to try to subscribe to pay for more storage versus what we went there for, which was to clean out some of the things we don't need in that storage. And so it really got me to thinking like how there are just so many roadblocks in our way when we're online. Like these companies, I don't want to say they mislead us, but they definitely try to lead us down a path other than the one that was intended for us, right? Like we're trying to do one thing and they're trying to steer us to another thing. And 99% of the time, it's to separate us from our money. That's like the entire point. Even Google itself. I mean, I love Google, but, and I've talked about this before, but if you do a Google search, I mean, the top links are all sponsored paid ads, which is fine. The company has to make money, but you would be surprised how many people just click on the first link thinking that's the link that is the first result when in actuality you have to scroll down past the sponsored links to get to the actual what we call organic web result the first result for that website so anyway i tell you all this because uh somehow i was on a website called consumer world which i really like because i check it on a daily basis and they linked up with uh an explainer website called merchantmachine.co.uk and they've got a whole sort of explainer on dark patterns and dark patterns are what I'm talking about it's when the website is engineered to make you do a certain thing and you've had this happen to you when you're reading a, a pop-up on the web 
and you're like, wait a second, do I click yes or do I click no? It's kind of like if you live in California, we have these things called propositions that they do during voting. And they're all worded in a way where like, you're not, you're not really sure how you should vote because you're not really sure if a yes is a no, if a no is a yes, if supporting it is good, if supporting it is bad. So it's called a dark pattern. These were identified back in 2010, apparently. They're used by shopping websites, and they include misleading ads, misdirection, and tricking customers into a subscription that's nearly impossible to get out of. And these are all over the web. So this merchant machine kind of looked at a bunch of different major online retailers to figure out who are the worst offenders. They visited 72 online retailers. Who's the worst offender? If you can believe it, Amazon.com is number one. Now, I, that's interesting that they came up with that. They noticed 11 dark patterns on Amazon's website. HP and Dell were the most manipulative electronics retailers online. Instacart was the worst offender for grocery retailers. And when it came to beauty retailers, they had the most dark patterns on their websites. So overall, beauty retailers were really bad. So how do you identify a dark pattern? Let's talk about this. The number one thing, according to Merchant Machine, is a trick question. This is a question that appears to be uh, worded in a way that actually asks something else. So it tricks you into giving the answer the company would prefer. For example, are you sure you don't want to cancel your subscription? And you say, wait, what? And often when you're trying to cancel something, the answer that's like highlighted in green is really like will keep you subscribed. That's kind of the best way to describe that. Number two, sneak into basket. A store adds something unwanted into your basket without you realizing. So sometimes you may have to say no to something and that you don't notice that. And so <laughs> this, this is a, one of those examples where you get a product in your basket and you're like, wait a second, I don't, I don't remember putting that in, but you just didn't take it out. Uh, a roach motel. This is an online service that creates a situation that's easy to get into, but hard to get out to. This is something that I always, always look out for. And what this happens with is a lot of newspaper subscriptions are like this, where it is super easy to sign up in one click online. But guess what? To get out of that, you have to call in or email. So my advice here is whenever you're subscribing to anything online, I always go to the FAQ, the FAQ page, and I look to see what are the cancellation terms. How do I cancel this service or product? And if it says anything about calling in or emailing or getting on the phone with a representative, uh-uh. I want to make sure that cancellation is just as easy as signing up. And in fact, I just did sign up for something recently that I, I knew, like I looked at the cancellation and of course, subscribing is easy. Canceling, I've got to email someone. And I, I ended up doing it because, you know, I just go in there knowing that. Price comparison prevention. So an online store makes it difficult to directly compare similar products by concealing single unit prices on bulk buy items. So this happens on Amazon sometimes. It's like, oh, three of these products for, you know, $17. But you're like, well, how much is just one? Like now I got to do this math because Walmart's selling it for this price. And, you know, I just want to see how much is it for one. Um, hidden costs. This is when you're at checkout and your product becomes a little bit more expensive because of hidden costs. They add on uh, a, a processing fee 
you know, not necessarily a shipping fee because shipping is free, but there's some sort of processing fee. This happens with hotels all the time, obviously, with those those resort fees that are just wild. This happened to me in real life, by the way. Dark patterns are not just online. I was at a restaurant a couple weeks ago and I got my bill and I was going down the bill and I couldn't believe I'd never seen this before. They had this 18% surcharge that was mixed into the bill and it was written in exactly the same text as something I had ordered. So I was going down. I was like, all right, I got that burger. I got those fries. And then all of a sudden, this 18% you know, service tip charge thing was in there. I was like, oh, that's kind of tricky because it was written in the same exact font as an item. Typically, when they add the service charge on, it's in like a bigger thing down at the bottom. And then the best part was when I got my bill with the, the tip area, it had the other part had vanished. So now it just said like total and then tip. So if you weren't really paying attention, you'd be tipping twice on this bill. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. I'd not really seen that before. Uh, the other thing, disguised ads, website, artwork, or links that looks like uh, regular content, but it's actually an advertisement that can happen on Amazon. You can see, uh, and then forced continuity, a service provides you to put your credit card details up front and then continues to charge you when you no longer want it like a free trial. And we're going to talk about some of the ways you can get around that later on with my guest, Jared Newman. He's got some tips on how to do that. So uh, he'll be a great guest. He's one of the few newsletters I get where I actually open it up every single time when I read it. So Jared's going to be joining us later in the show this hour. Plus, I'm going to tell you about some websites that can generate AI artwork. I know AI has been in the news. We talked about an AI tax app. We've talked about Bing AI. Yeah, AI is a very big thing these days. So we'll talk about that coming up. Plus, more of your calls. I do have... a couple of lines open right now. So if you have a question about technology, give me a call. The phone number is 888-RICH-101. That's 888-742-4101. Rich on Tech continues after this. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. My name is Rich Demuro, tech reporter at KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles, California. Online at Rich on Tech on social media and connecting with you at 888 Rich 101. That's 888 742 4101. Dial that question, uh, dial that uh, phone number if you have a question. That's exactly what Christina in Bonsal. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. That's perfect. Usually people don't pronounce it correctly. Oh, well, I pronounce great everything job. wrong. So I guess my jersey oh, no, no, came you, in handy this time. You did great. No, you did great. Hey, I'm thrilled you're the tech guy, and I know you're organized. So this is my question. I have two small businesses, and I have a gazillion receipts. The two things I've done in the past is I take the receipts on 8.5 by 11 uh, copied them and saved them to forward, you know, to save for the IR. This is all IRS. Stuff. Sure, yeah. Then I thought this is crazy <laughs> because I know that they will um, eventually fade out. So now what I'm doing is I'm taping them on just a sheet of paper and saving them. But that's crazy. So my question to you, Rich, is: Is there another way that I can go about doing this? Now, what I do is I write with a pen. On there, you know, the date, the amount where it went to, that may not even be acceptable because the rest of it will fade. Do you have anything else you could offer for to do it quickly and be done with it and not yeah. be fighting with these receipts? 
Well, first off, kudos to you for being so on top of things. I mean, I, that is incredible that you're doing. I mean, the fact that you're taping all these things to paper and, you know, keeping them all organized, that's probably more than like 99% of people do. Now, oh, I know. I think it's just crazy and uh, paranoid of the IRS. Yeah, I hear you. Now, I'm not I'm not a tax expert, so I can't, you know, oh, I can't I give you financial advice, but I can tell you, oh, I'm not, you know, right. some of the things that I think would help you in this situation. And, you know, I, okay. I'm. I know that the IRS takes uh, digital receipts, like they will accept a digital scan of a receipt. So, that, yes. so that's the number one thing you need to do is you've got to get these digital. So there's a couple, there's many, many ways you can do this. So, um, and there's, there's two kind of things that we're looking at here. Do you want to just scan these in and just have them in some sort of file on your computer just for safekeeping? Or do you want to organize them with some sort of app? Those are two different things. And I'm going to explain both of those situations. So if you just want to sort of you know, scan these in. There's there's three things I'd recommend. You can use a, a, just a standard iPhone. If you go into the Files app on the iPhone, um, you can just create a, a new folder on your phone, or I would do it in iCloud Drive if I were you because you want these in the cloud. And you can just tap in the upper right-hand corner. There's a three dots inside a circle, and it says Scan Documents. So the iPhone has a built-in scanner uh, on the phone. You can also use the notes app on the iPhone, but I personally would not do that in this case because I think you're going to want to create a separate file or a separate, um, yeah, basically a separate file inside folders for every one of these tax documents, these receipts. So I would start with January. I would say January 2023, put all the things that you scan for January inside that folder, then move on to the next month. Next month it's February, scan them as you go, and that's one way. Now, if you have an Android, you can just uh, use Google Drive, and they have a built-in scanner. So if you go into open up Google Drive, the app on your uh, Android phone, there's a big plus sign in the lower right-hand corner. You press that plus sign, and it says scan. And you can use your Android phone to scan a document. And same thing. I would use the same exact, you know, 2023, January put all the documents in there. And that's just one way to kind of get these things digitized and into your, you know, into the cloud, into your system that will, will be good for safekeeping in case you ever need them. Then you've got things like a scanner. So if you think that that's too much work to use your phone, sometimes a scan with your phone comes out good, sometimes it doesn't, I would recommend a scanner from Fujitsu, and specifically the ScanSnap scanners are fantastic. And so I tested one of these uh, for a segment we did, and uh, I'm trying to get the name of it, but I believe it's just the ScanSnap. Um, it's, oh gosh, what is it? Let me Let me see if I can find it here. I'm getting a bunch of pop-ups. Oh, here it is. The ScanSnap iX100. This is a mobile wireless scanner. It is super, super easy to use. It can sit on your desk, and you connect it to the cloud. And every time you get a receipt, you just pop open the scanner. Uh, it immediately comes on. It connects to your Wi-Fi. You feed the receipt in, or three, or four, or five, and it takes care of them. It puts them all up into the cloud in a nice format that you want. They also have some nice software with that scanner that can organize your receipts um, using OCR, which will scan the text on those receipts and help you, you know, search for them later. So that's uh, your phone. We have your scanner. Now there is something you can do with an app. So there are several apps to help you scan these things in as well. So yes, there are a million and one scanning apps. You can use something like um, Adobe. They have a, a scan app. Adobe Scan works for iOS and Android. That's a great app for scanning. 
Um, but if you want a receipt-specific app, there's an app called Shoeboxed, which, uh, according to their website, is the number one receipt scanner app loved by over a million businesses. I have not personally used this, but uh, it seems like it has a lot of good reviews and a lot of good features that I would think you're looking for. And you're going to probably have to pay for this. It looks like it's anywhere from 18 to $54 a month, but you are running a business. I'm not an expert in taxes, but I believe this would be a write-off. So, uh, And if it's helping you, that's half the battle right there. So the website is shoeboxed.com. Expensify is a very popular scanning uh, receipt scanning app. I know a lot of companies will partner with Expensify. So I believe I've used this in the past. They have a a dedicated app just for scanning your receipts. So that's another way to go about it. And Expensify is pretty well known. So I think that that would be something that's really handy for you as well. Uh, There's another app that I've used in the past called Everlance, E-V-E-R-L-A-N-C-E. This is a really incredible app because not only can it keep track of your transactions, kind of like the FlyFin app we were talking about earlier, but it also keeps track of your mileage. So if that's something else you need to keep track of, if you're a freelancer, this will help you log your miles as well. That's how it sort of started out, but it also does the expenses as well. So with this Everlance app, anytime you get into your car and it notices that you're moving, it will create a trip. So when you're driving at the end of the week, you can just say, okay, that trip was to go to this client's house. This trip was to go to this client's business. And you can categorize all those as well. So lots of options for you, Christina. Hopefully one of those works. You are listening to Rich on Tech. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jared Newman, who's going to offer some tips about cord cutting, privacy, and more. It's all here. Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. My name is Rich Demiro, talking technology, hanging out with you. Phone line is 888-RICH-101. All right, I want to get right to my next guest because he is super helpful. If you think I'm helpful, this guy has a great newsletter. His name's Jared Newman. He's a freelance writer. He covers a whole bunch of different uh, you know, consumer devices and technology. He's got two newsletters that are really good. One is called Advisorator. The other one is Cord Cutter Weekly. He's got a lot of subscribers for a good reason, because he gives good advice. Jared Newman, welcome to the show. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me, and thanks for saying all that. Yeah, I mean, look, I get a lot of newsletters, and 99% of them go straight to trash. Yours, I read through the entire thing, because you always have good little tidbits, you know, like good little stuff. So let's just get to some of this stuff. Um, This week... You talked about, um, let's see, what should we talk about first? Let's talk about this MLS. So T-Mobile customers get MLS season pass on the Apple TV app free. But Apple TV is so confusing because you've got the device, then you've got the actual app. So people are always like, how can I watch this? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, you have the device, you have the app, and then you have Apple TV Plus, which is a service within the app, which is separate. Uh, yeah, yeah. It really, you can it's... really go down a rabbit hole with it. But, um, you know, the Apple TV app is sort of Apple's all-purpose way of handling things like iTunes rentals and the Apple TV Plus streaming service and now MLS Season Pass, which they have the, the exclusive streaming rights to. So all that is going to flow through the Apple TV app. However, right. Season Pass, MLS Season Pass, is its own separate subscription. You do get a discount if you're an Apple TV Plus subscriber, but you don't have to be. Um, and it's just its own thing. It just happens to flow through Apple's TV app. 
So confusing. So basically... <laughs> I hope that makes sense. I tried my best. If you're a T-Mobile customer, though, you get this for free. So I had a friend that was yep. like, oh, I have T-Mobile, but I don't have an iPhone. I said, no, you, do you have a Roku? Because like, you can get the Apple TV app on these different devices, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's on pretty much every major streaming platform. It's not on Android phones at the moment. Oh, believe, surprise. Pretty much <laughs> everything else, um, and it's on the web. Uh, so, yeah, th- there's plenty of ways to access the Apple TV app. And if you're a T-Mobile customer, you would actually redeem this through the T-Mobile Tuesdays app, which is where they do their various deals and things. And you have to actually do this um, starting on the 21st through March 14th. So there's this window where you have to redeem the free year of, of MLS season pass. And then after that, the window's closed. So put it on your calendar or what have you so that you you remember to get that freebie yeah it's a 99 dollars value you're going to get every uh regular live uh season match you're going to get all the uh playoff matches all the leagues cup and there's no blackouts this is i mean this is actually a pretty cool thing that apple has done where they're pretty much the first to do a sports league with no blackouts when you have a subscription like this all right let's move on paramount plus is raising prices tell me about that yeah, so they they kind of been telegraphing this for a while. It is a little anticlimactic because they the executives for several months have been like, oh yeah, it's overvalued. There's going to be a price hike. It's one dollar. Uh, so <laughs> it, it was it was five dollars a month, and now it's six dollars a month, or it's going to be six dollars a month. This is actually not happening until the third quarter of this year, and that's for the ad supported plan. The ad free plan. This gets a little interesting. So it was ten dollars per month. It is going up to $12 per month. However, that $12 per month will get you everything from the Showtime catalog. And so they had been bundling Paramount Plus and Showtime for a while, and that bundle price was $15 per month. Now it's actually going down to $12 per month. So if you're already bundling Paramount Plus and Showtime, you would save a little money here. I will point out that um, if you know where to look, or if you perhaps subscribe to my newsletter, it is fairly easy to get Paramount Plus for free on a month-by-month basis. So this all ends up being a moot point if you're sort of savvy about it. But um, yeah, if you're if you're if you're a paying customer, there will be a small price hike. Yeah, this is what I love about your newsletter. I've gotten so many Paramount <laughs> streaming free <laughs> promo codes because you just put them in there. Like every every single time you send a newsletter, there's a new one, and I'm like, this this certainly this will not work this time. And sure enough, it does. Uh, by the way, I'll put a link to both of Jared's newsletters at my website, richontech.tv. Uh, let's see. What else did you have this week? Oh, Netflix killed the surprise me button. Did anyone ever use that? Like, who wants to just watch something random? Like, I always make the joke, like, you really have nothing to do in your life. If you're going on Netflix and you're saying, just surprise me with something, like, let me just watch something. Yeah, I almost wrote a little bit more about that, but I just kind of didn't have the, the space or time or whatever. But um, it was kind of funny because this was a much ballyhooed feature when it came out. I think it was last year or something. And, uh, you know, they they talk to the press ahead of time. It was a big thing. They're finally rolling out the shuffle button that everybody wanted. And then it turns out nobody actually used it. Um, and I think, um, I, I, don't know, I kind of think that maybe they didn't go far enough. I, I don't know. You really have to trust the Netflix algorithm yeah. right, to just click surprise me. They didn't really like, okay, it would be nice if it was like, I want to watch a comedy. Show me, you know, let me shuffle through some comedies until I find something I want. But it was really just total random uh and you just really had to trust that they knew exactly what you wanted to watch at that particular time and 
That, yeah. that t- didn't typically happen. I mean, look, I, it's funny because like TikTok's entire world is based on that, but you're talking, you know, a minute little like videos this is like netflix where it's like you're gonna get started on some random like sitcom or hour-long show or movie like without any sort of like heads up on what that's that's a very good point yeah because even you know even when i know what the show is going to be i'm still sort of like do i really want to get into right right like the first couple minutes you're like okay you got to give me a reason to stick with this thing uh you talked about in your latest uh cord cutter weekly newsletter the uh the Roku privacy situation. So can you tell me about that a little bit? If you have a Roku, what should you do? Yeah. So, well, I should clarify, not just Roku. I mean, pretty much every streaming device has uh, smart TV too. Also there's various mechanisms by which it will track your viewing habits and use it for ad targeting. And um, there's levers that you can pull to kind of minimize that data collection and minimize that targeted ad stuff. It's sort of this weird uh, intangible thing, right? Like if you take the time to opt out of all these things, are you really going to notice it? Maybe not too much. At most, you, it'll be like you won't see as many targeted ads. You may not have that feeling of like, oh, I saw an ad for this thing, and now it's following me somewhere else. Um, so, you know, is it really worth the trouble? I don't know. I mean, you know, how many times have we seen the – story about smart TVs kind of tracking everything you're watching and people get real freaked out about that. So there is sort of this intangible gut feeling of like, hey, I don't really want to be watched when I'm watching TV. So I decided to kind of put together all the ways that you can uh, minimize that activity or that behavior. This was a big thing with the Vizio TVs. Remember that whole revelation where they were actually scanning anything that came across that screen, even if it was like off of a DVD player? Is that am I getting that right? Um, yes, except that every TV does that. So, so, so every... the thing, the, the nuance with Vizio is that they weren't really disclosing what they were, you know, they, they weren't really being super upfront about it. And granted, nobody's that upfront about it. But, um, you know, they were selling that data off to marketers and things. And it was just kind of uh, inadequate disclosure to consumers. Uh, but all the smart TV brands will do this if you don't opt out. Uh, depends on the TV brand how you actually do that. Usually there's something during setup or a setting you can dig into. But yeah, this thing is called automatic content recognition, and it's sort of like uh, recognizing the content that's on your TV regardless of what input it's coming from and using that for ad targeting or market research or what have you. Okay, this is really important right now because I thought this was just one TV. So this is why these companies love to ship smart TVs that you connect to your Wi-Fi because they're basically scanning everything that you're watching and then selling that information to advertisers. And I just found an article that, you know, Amazon, Android and Google TVs, LG TVs, Roku TVs, Samsung TVs, Sony, and Vizio. So if you are... um, if you have a smart TV and you don't like the idea of this, I would Google the name of that smart TV and ACR, like you, like Jared just mentioned. Yeah, uh, and so that's in this this article that I just put out. Is. And I, you know, the, the also the sort of nuance here is people will go, ah, well, that's why I don't have a, that's why I want a dumb TV and I just want to plug a Roku or or that Fire TV into it so that this doesn't happen. But guess what? If you're using a Roku or a Fire TV, they're also trying to do all that kind of stuff. It's not scanning your other inputs. But Roku definitely is interested in everything that you're watching across all your different apps and using that for ad targeting. So, um, you know, there's different levels of it, and it's just kind of – it's not just smart TVs that are doing this. It's really just anything that's connected to the Internet, as we know. Everything's powered by targeted ads, and 
you just have to be mindful of how that happens. All right, Jared, we're going to have to leave it there, but uh, tell folks how to find you, the best way to uh, find you and, uh, you know, subscribe to your stuff. Yeah, so since we talked a lot about streaming and cord-cutting stuff, uh, you want to check out my newsletter. It is cordcutterweekly.com. Uh, comes out every Friday morning, and I uh, appreciate it if you signed up for it. All right, it's a great newsletter, Jared. Thanks so much. I'll put a link on my website, richontech.tv. Always good to run into you at the tech events. And coming up, we are going to talk about, uh, gosh, Google Images and Clipart might not be necessary anymore. When you hear about these websites, I'm going to tell you about that use AI to create artwork on demand that you can use. Plus, we'll wrap up the show and have a couple of more calls all coming up next. You're listening to Rich on Tech 888-742-4101, 888-RICH-101. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich Demuro hanging out, talking technology. Let's go to Barbara in Pasadena. Barbara, you're on with Rich. Hi, Rich. Um, my question is, I have a 1922-year-old, um, 1922 um, circa home. Um, I have fences, steel doors, and uh, a large dog, but... I'm baffled by the first steps and the kinds of questions I should pose this uh, home security systems. Thank you. Oh, good question. Home security. Um, you know, here's the thing about this. So, I mean, traditionally, you would go with something like an ADT or, uh, you know, these companies that sell you on a big contract. And the whole name of the game is that it's easy because someone comes to your house and wires it up and does everything you need, but then you're saddled with a bill for a while. And so, you know, that's kind of the name of the game. They'll give you the equipment, but you're paying over time. You know, usually it's a three-year contract, something like that. Um, do you have anything that's uh, important to you? Like, what's most important to you? Do you want, like, a combination of cameras, or do you just want security, like when a door opens, you know, alarm, that kind of stuff? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, are you comfortable installing this yourself? I guess that's another question you need to figure out. Do you... Do you... Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it depends on how complicated it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I was recommended a, a system called SimpleSafe, but there are so many systems out there. Yeah. Um, so... Well, Simply Safe is, I, I think, an excellent system. I really do. And um, it's one that I use for many years. And I think it's very easy. You can set it up yourself and it's very straightforward. And so um, Simply Safe is great. And they've expanded into cameras. It started out as just, just sort of um, sensors for your doors and windows. And the way that these systems work is typically you sign up. You, you know, you pay a monthly fee. The monthly fee is considerably less than it would be if you were going with something like a big company, like, you know, what I mentioned earlier, a big home monitoring, but they still offer home monitoring. And then they ship you the stuff and you install it yourself. So it has a base station and then it's a la carte. So if you have, you go around your house, if you have five doors in your house, you'll order five little sensors for your doors. And then you go around, you stick them up on your doors and, you know, it connects to the the main base station. And that base station either has Wi-Fi or cellular or a combination of both. Typically it's both. And that's how it will call, you know, the police or fire in the, you know, if, if there's an emergency. And then of course you can continue to build onto these systems. So if you say, oh, I'd like a panic button, you can order that on the website and it connects to your account. So the two that I would really consider if you're willing to do it yourself is Simply Safe and Ring. 
So I think Ring has a really good um, home security system, but it, it's got a lot of different products. So I think it, it kind of comes down to how many things, like how complicated do you want to make this? I think that Simply Safe, based on the name and based on using the product, is pretty simple. If you just want sensors on your doors, go ahead and do the Simply Safe route. It's pretty straightforward. You install these sensors, you install a, you know an audible alarm in your house, you connect it to the monitoring, and it, it's very, very straightforward. But if you want something that's a little bit more full-featured and something that has a lot of products that work with it, I think that the Ring system is going to be a little bit more full-featured than Simply Safe. And it's very simpler, uh, very similar. You get the base station, you get all the accessories. Um, but I think what Ring is really known for is its security cameras. And so if you want one of those video doorbells, yes, Simply Safe offers that. But let's be honest, Ring invented that. So if you want that, maybe you go with that. And the pricing is is very competitive too. I mean, a Simply Safe, I believe, is about, you know, anywhere from fifteen to, to thirty dollars a month. And Ring, I believe, is anywhere from $10 to $30 a month, depending on the plan that you have. So it is very affordable. And the, the good news is it's, you know, you don't have to pay. Like, you, if you want to stop using it, you can. It's not like these other systems where they come to your house and install them for you. You're going to be on the hook for three years of paying for monitoring no matter what. And these systems like Ring and Simply Safe do give you the monitoring as well. So you can do that. Um, uh, you know, whether, you know, you want to go with Simply Safe or Ring, I think just depends on, like I said, the products that you want. So I think that Ring does a really good job with the cameras. And so I think that that would be a good way to go if you want the door cams and all that stuff. But uh, I've installed a couple of these systems and they are very straightforward. The Ring system is very easy to install. It's all pretty much QR codes. The Simply Safe system, um, when I did it, was very straightforward as well. Um, and all of these systems are you know, they've been updated over the years. So if you have an old Simply Safe, the newer systems are probably just better than the old ones. But the main thing to know is that you do need a good cellular connection where you are because that's the primary way that these things connect in in the event of an emergency. But they also, the newer ones do have Wi-Fi as well. So that's going to be the kind of default. And then it it goes to cellular if the Wi-Fi is not uh, working or, or if it's out or something like that. And also if your power goes out, there's backup batteries inside the base station. So I think you're going to be okay. You said you have a 19, I think you said a 1922 house. So I'm assuming the layout of this house is pretty simple. And, you know, it's got, you know, a couple of windows, a couple of doors. Either one of these systems I think you're going to be good with. So I would go to their websites and just kind of compare the features and see what you want. And then, you know, of course, the pricing as well. And uh, Barbara, you'll be, um, you know, feeling much more secure. I think that these systems do offer a level of security that um, you can't get without having one. All right, I mentioned I was going to talk about some clip art websites that generate AI art instantly. I'll go through a couple of these. I tested them out for a segment on KTLA. So if you haven't tried these, you have to. Um, you know, if you search for images, typically you go to Google or you go to a clip art. These websites will actually generate an image on the fly using AI based on some keywords. So Dolly 2 is the one that started the trend. It comes from the same folks behind ChatGPT. You type in a few words, it spits out some images. You can use them as you like, even for commercial purposes. You get a certain amount of free images every month. Then there's a website called Dream, 
by Wombo. Um, these are very easy. You don't need to sign up or log in. You just type in a few words. You can download them. They may have a watermark on them, so be aware of that. You can always cut it out if you don't want. But Dream has apps for iOS and Android as well. Crayon, C-R-A-I-Y-O-N, is also very easy. No sign up. Generating the images takes a bit longer, but you get nine images at once to choose from. And if you like them, you can print them on a t-shirt. And finally, Stable Diffusion is known for generating really high-quality images, perhaps too high-quality. Getty Images is actually uh, suing them right now because they said they trained their AI model with some of their Getty Images without being licensed. Um, now, Stable Diffusion is so popular, you might get an error on your first try. I'll link all these up on the website, richontech.tv. That's going to do it for this week of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, I'm going to tell you how people are making money doing other people's dirty laundry. You can find me on social media at Rich on Tech. My name is Rich Demiro. Thanks so much for listening. There are so many ways you can spend your time. I really do appreciate you spending it right here with me. I'll talk to you real soon.